Hi, my name is Suel Siddiqui, and welcome to Office Hours with Dorman Fund. Each week, we'll be talking to some of the brightest minds in business, venture, and tech. From CPGs to NFTs, we got you covered. For new episodes, make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for more information on Dorm Room Fund, connect with us on social or go to dormroomfund.com. What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Dorm Room Fund podcast. Hope you all are doing well today. I'm here with a very special guest, a bit of a colliding worlds, as some would say. Uh, we got Josh Belinsky, founder of Slate Milk. For those of you that don't know, uh, Slate Milk is a venture-backed CPG startup, a very fancy way of saying a chocolate milk company based out of Boston, right? I always get Boston and New York. Okay, it's, it's Boston. Yeah, yeah, Boston. Um, yeah, has done super well, was on Shark Tank, a plethora of things in only four years. So it's uh, it's pretty cool to see. Uh, Josh, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Again, so nice to finally meet you. Uh, this man is yeah. technically also my boss, just for a little, uh, what's the word, what, what are we, uh, what's the word when you, uh, you have to be transparent with someone? Right. What's, disclosure. Yeah, disclosure, full disclosure. Uh, this is my boss as well. So um, I will be asking the hard questions, but uh, don't be surprised if things get cut out. Um, all right, we'll get, we'll get right into it. So uh, you went to Northeastern for entrepreneurship. I'm curious, prior to school, were you very entrepreneurial growing up? Did you have any hustles or were you just a kid that liked chocolate milk and Springsteen? <laughs> Good question. Uh, I did your research. I like it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I really realized it, but I was always kind of hustling. Uh, when I was eight years old, uh, my father and grandfather both started working. They were five, six, seven, eight in the butcher shop in downtown Boston. So nice. It was kind of my blood. When I turned eight, I started caddying at the local golf course and I caddied for about 12 years there. So I was there looping every Saturday, Sunday, Friday when I could get it during the summers. And uh, you're really kind of making your own, your own job there. You're fighting for to be the best caddy. And, and really the, the best thing was if you could get people's phone numbers, uh, in, you know, at the time I had like a little Nokia, like for anybody that doesn't know what that is, you can Google it, where um, you could like pay 25 cents a text. Um, <clears throat> that's how, you know, if you could get those guys to text you beforehand, you wouldn't have to show up at five 30. So I started to create a little bit of a relationship with some of the guys. So I didn't have to get there quite so early. Um, but then like, even in school, like my sister danced all growing up for like 15 years, every year they'd sell chocolate bars to try to fundraise for their costumes that year and stuff like that. Um, and the only time I can remember going to the principal in middle school, cause I was the goody two shoes kid. I, uh, I sold so many chocolate bars. The principal said I was starting to compete with the school, like snacks in the cafeteria uh, kids like waiting in line at my table. And they were like, what the hell is going on? Um, so I always kind of had the itch, but, uh, I loved math. And so I was like prepared to go to school for civil engineering, wanted to build bridges and, work on buildings and whatever. Um, but usable rockets and then eventually, you know, buying Twitter also. Is that yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So that, that's what I wanted, but it was kind of sitting there right in my face and, uh, I needed, I wanted to make some extra money during my senior year of high school. And I got a job working at Best Buy and I was just slinging like cameras and washing machines and whatever. And I loved it. I loved being in front of people, being out there, um, and I was like, I, I have to pursue business in general. So I was like, you know what, <clears throat> I'm going to go to Northeastern. I love the co-op program. Go, go work a bunch of times. Or anybody that doesn't know, you got three different six month full-time opportunities and, uh, the rest is kind of history. Is the co-op, is it like a bit of an accelerator program within the school or something? So like co-op is, is a, you actually get a full-time job for six months at a, um, at a company. 
So you don't go to school, you don't take classes at all. Um, you basically six months of the year, you're either on break or in classes. And then the other six months full time, you're working 40 hours a week for a company. And typically it's maybe intern-ish work, but a lot of the times you end up getting exposed a little bit more, more of like an associate level type thing. So by the time you graduate, you have 18 months of real world experience before, you know, you step a foot outside the campus. That's sick. So is that where like a lot of your experiences I saw on your LinkedIn, you had HQ Go, Venture App, which doesn't seem to be solvent anymore, uh, New Grounds Food, a plethora of other things. Is that where like everything kind of came in? Was it working like full-time after school or was that part of the co-op program? It was all part of everything. So like the, the, the quick version is my freshman year, I bumped into these two guys who had this idea for a better for you caffeinated energy bar. Cliff and Kind were kind of the two main bars that were out there everyone was eating. Um, we thought Kind Bar was um, at that time really targeting the female audience and, and Cliff Bar was, and, but it was a little bit healthier. Cliff Bar just had a lot of sugar. So we're like, all right, we're going to make an energy bar that was low sugar, better for you, but also had hundred milligrams of caffeine, sell it on college campuses, local Whole Foods. So um, the two guys had the idea. I joined on basically as the first employee, learned a ton over the course of two years. Uh, but my dad told me that uh, he had been involved in startups and non-startups throughout his career in different sales and marketing positions. And he said, you have to promise me before you work full-time for a startup or start your own, you have to get at least two corporate jobs just to see what a big organization looks like and how they do performance reviews and red tape and politics and all that kind of stuff. So right after my freshman year, I interned at Liberty Mutual Insurance and the sales team. So learned a ton there and met a lot of great people. The following year, which was my, that was just like a three month internship. But then my first co-op, my first six-month full-time co-op was at State Street Bank, big fiduciary in, in Boston. Um, and that was a massive, you know, thousands and thousands of employees. And I worked on kind of like the global sales team there. So learned a little bit there. Um, but then my kind of third, fourth, and fifth year of school, because Northeastern is a five-year program, mm-hmm. that's when I kind of self-developed my own co-op. I loved working full-time. So I decided to work full-time and go to school at the same time. And that's when I met the, the, the folks over at Venture App. So they were a venture-backed business out of Boston um, and all five founders had sold businesses prior. So I was like, I want to go work from them and learn from them. Um, venture App after uh, two and a half to three years, yeah, two and a half-ish years, ended up pivoting to now what's called HQO. So it's actually the same company, just new oh, name. Oh, got it. Okay. So really learned the meaning of the word pivot um, and the, the team's done an incredible job basically surviving each of those pivots. And the business now is doing really, really well in HQO. And so I was there for three, three and a half years, learned a ton. Um, the CEO over there is a, is a master fundraiser. So I learned a lot about different things around fundraising. And um, I was on the sales team to so learn a lot about pricing strategies and building a team and stuff like that. And so I say that's where I basically got my MBA. And then that kind of led me into founding Slate with Manny. That's crazy. So it's interesting that your dad told you to get the two corporate jobs. Do you think you would, you know, fast forward, if you're starting Slate today, you do the same thing, you know, or maybe uh, just go for it right out of college? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I definitely think I would want to work in at least one place and I wouldn't change anything because I, I learned so much in each place. Right. Um, I also, for me, I think the, the biggest benefit was I just was exposed to more leaders, like how my manager and leader ran the office at Liberty versus how the leaders and managers ran it at State Street versus the startups. Like, everyone is such a different style. And I really liked some of the things they did. And I maybe didn't agree with some of the other things that they did. And I think overall, it's kind of crafted, you know, how, how we try to lead our, our organization now. Um, so I, I definitely am really glad I did it. Could I, 
if I now had to go back to a big organization, I think I would struggle. I think I really enjoy being a part of startups. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I was the guy who, you know, there's very, there's very elite, you know, higher up people that you're not supposed to just walk into their office. And I was always the guy just walking in and shooting the shit with the guys. Yeah, exactly. It's not always as, uh, is somewhat frowned upon sometimes, but you know, that kind of stuff I couldn't handle. It's just, I wanted flat organization and um, it's probably why I'm an entrepreneur. I may or may not have been doing that at, at Slate in my early months, but I digress. Let's keep going uh, with, um, with Slate itself. So again, for anyone that I might have glazed over this at the beginning, yeah. but high protein, low sugar, lactose-free, uh, chocolate milk in a can, I would say it's much more comparable to like a protein shake. Um, yep. cause if you're going to, if you're going to argue with, you know, or if you're going to compete with like Nesquik or the demons at Fairview, then, you know, you might lose that battle, but with, right. you know, a muscle milk or one of those companies, uh, it might be a lot more comparable. Uh, you know, why chocolate milk? Like I always ask entrepreneurs, like, you know, business is such a big commitment. Why did you feel the need like to start Slate in the first place? What was the, what like really catalyzed that? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing I've learned of all these companies, it's got to be something that you're really, really passionate about. I mean, everything's going to go wrong. Everything that could go wrong will go wrong and even worse than you can imagine. Highs are high, lows are lower. And because the buck stops with you, no matter what, no matter what time of day, night, weekend, like the stories go on for days. Um, but chocolate milk, le legitimately, like growing up for Manny and I grew up 15 minutes apart. So we never met each other. We might have during college because we both went to Northeastern, but really we didn't meet until after school in the tech world. And it's funny, we had very similar stories. We're growing up, we loved chocolate milk. We both played a ton of sports, whether it was football, basketball, baseball, golf, whatever. And we were drinking tons of chocolate milk and we both became lactose intolerant right around puberty, which is when most people find out they're lactose intolerant. Mm -hmm. So our mom started giving us lactose-free milk. And the lactose-free milk almost always says lactose-free huge on the front or the brand is actually had, uses some form of the yeah. word lactose, lactate. So um, it was super embarrassing. Anytime somebody came over and looked in our fridge, it was, oh, these kids have tummy issues because they can't digest lactose. Uh, what a loser. So, uh, you know, we, as we got older, we kept drinking it because we loved it, but it still it was chocolate milk. So it wasn't the healthiest thing for you, but at least we could digest it. So in college, we started caring a lot more about what we're putting in our bodies. So we started doing the protein shakes, whether it was ready to drink or kind of the protein powders. And uh it just, a lot of them had artificial ingredients and it just didn't make us feel great and sometimes tasted kind of chalky. And so we went into the world of tech. We loved our time there. Manny ran the largest job board in the country for brand ambassadors on college campuses. Him and his brother started that company and did that for three years. And both of our companies were kind of going through pivots. And that's when we were like, we both love chocolate milk. We were just joking around about starting a better for you chocolate milk company. Like we didn't want to have the protein powders anymore. We had gone back to drinking kind of the lactose free milks again. And we, had to, we were watching what we were putting in our bodies and those had a lot of sugar in them. Yeah. And so for like a year and a half, we just like walked around Boston, went to Fenway, just interviewed random people, asked like, why don't you, do you when's the last time you had milk or chocolate milk? And, and why was the last time, for some people it was like 20 years ago, we're like, why? <laughs> and a lot of people were like, I love chocolate milk. I just haven't had it in a while. And we're like, why? And a lot of people had a really hard time figuring out why. And really the majority of that reason that we saw was that it just didn't make them feel good. And so for us, what we found out is that it's really because lactose, most humans can't digest lactose. So we had to make sure it was lactose free. And then the other issues people had were like, milk's naturally high in sugar. It spoils pretty quickly. It's often in plastic bottles, which isn't great for the environment. The cows use a lot of water and produce methane. So we said, okay, if we can solve all of those problems, we'd be giving milk a clean slate, hence the name, um, start this business. And so our products um, basically solve all of those issues where we have a 20 grams of protein, no, no added sugar, less than one total gram of sugar. 
We're lack 100% lactose free. We're in a recyclable aluminum can. We're plastic neutral as a business. Um, we, at this point, our farming partners um, are very close to being water neutral, so much less than kind of the alternatives. Um, we use methane digesters on the farm. So really anything we can do to really make this not only better for our bodies, but better for the planet is really our focus. Um, and then from a brand perspective, like we're kind of pulling from a lot of different areas because there's nothing quite like it. Like it's a, it's an all natural solid protein shake. It's a, um, we do have a caffeinated flavor. So it's kind of like a better for you Starbucks Frappuccino in our caffeine. Yeah, the mocha, yeah. Yeah, the mocha. And then you have the um, traditional chocolate milks of the world where we're just a lot less sugar. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of like pulling from different areas, but then a lot of people at this point, sometimes they're replacing a water or they're replacing an energy bar or they're replacing a Gatorade midday that, you know, something that just tastes good to kind of tide them over between meals. So we're, we're really seeing it from a variety of angles, just because there is no necessarily like direct comparison next to us on the shelf. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause I, I, you know, I'm personally, I'm not lactose intolerant. It does work in my family a bit, but the mocha, like, you know, sometimes if I have coffee, it doesn't sit well with me and the, the mocha was, you know, an exception. So uh, it tastes great. It's funny. Like the more I'm drinking it, the more I like kind of seem to appreciate it. Like, I don't know if, I don't know what that's about, but um, I had some last night. I would be drinking some right now, but I'm fasting, but I had some <laughs> last night and it just tasted great. I was like, damn, maybe it's just because I haven't had food in, you know, 14 hours, but it just tasted great. So uh, kudos on that. And uh, it seems like the the formula and everything is getting better and better with each iteration. I'm curious, like you have that idea, you're like surveying people, like, where do you even start? Like that, that seems like such a daunting task to me. Google. Literally Google, you ask questions and you go like, it's amazing how far you can get. I mean, we Googled everything we could literally starting with how to start a chocolate milk company. Didn't get us very far, <laughs> but then we started calling all of the competitors. We called, you know, every big milk company you can think of. We typed in milk expert on LinkedIn. And there was a guy who had that as his title and his phone. Oh, I remember hearing this. Yeah. <laughs> like we just, we called him to talk about like, how can you get the sugar out of milk? Like you can get a long, long way with picking up the phone, Googling things, going to websites, everybody, the thing about what's cool about, I think, about entrepreneurship and startups and new ideas is, especially in industries that maybe are a little bit slower to innovate, people just want to help and they get so excited about like new things happening that even though somebody may be deemed as a competitor or somebody that you might be worried might not be helpful, think about somebody calling you if you're working your everyday job or you're in school and somebody you're really good at a certain subject and somebody's asking you for help, like your tendency as a human being, I think most human beings is to help other people. And so the entire way, and still today, people are constantly helping us, whether at the beginning it was people explaining very simple (laughs) concepts about CPG or consumer packaged goods to us, um, all the way through today where, you know, we have food executives that have been in the industry for 40 years trying to, you know, do complex strategy with us and they're making millions of dollars a year and they're still willing to give 20 minutes of their time to helping out a, you know, a younger company, um, which I think is a really cool piece of the ecosystem. Yeah, there's one person in particular when I was alluding earlier to emailing investors and stuff who I had asked a question about influencer marketing. Uh, he himself had a big exit uh, bar company. I think I'll let you guess which person it is, but he got back to me like so quickly and was just like, yeah, like this is what you're supposed to do. And this is what worked for us. And I'm like, well, thank you, man. Like, I appreciate it. Right. Like, well, yeah, like community building and stuff like that. So um, to your credit, yeah, it seems like the people who are the busiest uh, tend to I guess I want to help the most in a weird way, yeah. obviously not yeah. all the time, but um, I'm curious. So at what point, you know, this is a business podcast at the end of the day, at what sure. point did raising money get into, you know, come up and how was that like for you guys? 
So we had a unique circumstance where the world of beverages specifically require a lot of upfront capital because the manufacturers make their money based on the line time not going down. So they want to run as much as they can, as fast as they can. And so for some of the other startups, like especially like Coffee Bar and Newgrounds Food that I was part of, you can make the energy bars in your kitchen. You can do batches of 20 at a time, hand them out, you're fine. With beverages and specifically milk and you're making it shelf stable, you're working with some of the largest manufacturers in the world. So our initial production runs were very large. Um, and so we, we were forced to raise capital. But before we were ever raising money, we wanted to make sure that people wanted this, that it wasn't just Manny and I and we're being right. crazy. So we did a Kickstarter, which Kickstarter is, I feel like somewhat polarizing when you talk about it with people because some people are like, only people that can't raise money do Kickstarter and other people like think it's amazing. And it's funny because originally Manny was like, we don't need Kickstarter, like blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and he'll admit to it, but now we're, I mean, and I was a huge fan of it because we did it at Newgrounds and now we're two of the biggest proponents for it. Like I, if people need to raise money, like equity money that they cannot pay back, Kickstarter is not the place for you. Kickstarter gives you the money up front to produce something, but then you're selling it. The idea is that people are pre-ordering it and usually yeah, yeah, yeah. discount. So like I, we always tell people to think about Kickstarter as a break even. It's literally a way to get the marketing out there, test the concept, see if people are willing to buy your product, maybe make a little money on it, but you're really getting kind of your original raving fans. And so we had about 1200 people back us. Many of them still are subscribers, customers, fans today. And so that was really kind of the first domino. And then we also had a proof point that we could now bring to investors. And we were not the guys to go out there and raise a $10 million seed round and be like, <laughs> this is who we are. It was more so like, I think we need 15,000 for this, this, and this. Let's like, please, Mr. <laughs> investor, can you give us money to go do this? Then I was like, we probably need a couple hundred thousand more. Let's go raise that. And we kind of raised as we needed it. Um, it definitely took a lot of time. And, you know, I, but, but I think that it allowed us to grow in a great way, get really good people around us. Um, and, you know, you raise money as you need it. And, and I think that the whole idea around celebrating people raising money, I think that there's polar opposites. Some people get super yeah. excited about how much people have raised. Some people are like, nobody should be touting how amazing it is, how much they raise. That doesn't mean anything. I think there's a middle ground where it, it, I, I do think that raising money can help if you raise it from good people because you have more brand ambassadors out there. You have more advocates. You also have people that want to genuinely help you and not see you fail, um, which kind of makes the family a little bit bigger, which is the great part about fundraising. Um, the downside is it takes time. And, and you know, you, if you're uh, trying to grow, then uh, you're, you're raising more often than you're not, which is a lot of the job of the founders. And, um, you know, that, that's kind of like the, the catch 22. But, um, you know, to date, I think we've raised, I think we said five or 6 million in the Forbes article that came out at the end of last year. Um, and um, it, it, it won't be our last. Um, but, you know, I think for us, the idea is that we're, we're trying to build this into be a, a, a large, standable business at some point. Um, and we'll be celebrating the wins of, uh, you know, happy customers. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that <clears throat> you guys had the proof of concept first, you got the 1200 supporters, and then I'm guessing it made the process of raising so much easier. Um, and not just raising money from anybody, but uh, also raising money from, you know, uh, athletes and people in the CPG space. So um, is there anyone in particular that, you know, you would love to, I don't know, raise money from down the line? Is there someone that you're like, huh, that would be a That'd be a cool person to have on our team. Cool investor to have on the team. Yeah, our investor partner it could be anyone. Like, honestly, it could just be like a uh, what's it called? Damn, I can't remember. Any, oh, like an endorser or someone like that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't know if there's anybody specifically that uh, 
you know, I have, I have a ton of idols out there. Like, you know, I know that um, a lot of people listen to this podcast probably have no idea who he is, but you alluded to it earlier. Like Bruce Springsteen just like posted an Instagram <laughs> video of him, like drinking a slate being like, I just found this and this is amazing at my local Wegmans in New Jersey boom like that is like i don't care if he's he's an endorser i don't care if he never drinks it ever again like cool cool moment um but uh you know we, and we've had little little wins like that where we've had different celebrities or whatever dm us and on us on instagram being like hey i found this at my local grocery store this is awesome congrats or they'll post about it or whatever um but i'll get back to you on if there's a sing- individual human i was being. yeah i was just curious was, yeah. I, I know that uh I mean, I don't know if I'm allowed to disclose this, but Bryson DeChambeau was one of those people. You'd mentioned golf earlier. Um, yeah. I've become a kind of a big golf fan in the past couple of months. Um, I don't know, maybe Scotty Scheffler. We got some some more golfers on. <laughs> yeah. All the young guys. Yeah. Hey, yeah, I mean, yeah. they're, they're all like fitness and golf has really started to become uh, more in line. Yeah. Uh, whereas I think in the it may have a reputation uh, of not always being that way. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I. I people like that, that we can help achieve fitness goals a lot. We work with a lot of pro sports teams as well. So that's all really cool. Yeah. I don't know if you'd want, yeah, John Daly as an ambassador, but DeChambeau or or Tiger or anyone like that, who's just absolutely ripped and not built like a golfer whatsoever. (laughs) uh, That might be a great person to have on board. Um, So yeah, just moving forward, we're on the topic of investing. You know, this is going to be brought up Shark Tank. That's where I covered you guys. One of my favorite shows. Uh, what was that experience like? Um, obviously, you know, you had Mark uh, spitting the drink out, which I don't know. I've talked to Nick about this before. Shout out Nick Shandman if you're listening. Uh, yeah. he's, he's mentioned that like he thought that Mark was kind of like overreacting. Um, I'm curious, you know, what your whole take was on that experience. Yeah, I mean, it was it was insane. It was one of the coolest things I've ever done. Bucket list opportunity would absolutely go back. 100%. Uh, you know, they cut together seven minutes of of a much longer being in there. And, uh, I think that, um, unfortunately the way the cut went didn't make us look awesome. Um, but, uh, it was, it was really good for the brand to get, get it out there. And, you know, we were pre-money, pre-revenue, pre-product. Like that was, those were lab samples that, um, you know, we had just kind of made ready for commercialization and there we've probably tweaked it 2000 times since then. Um, but just great experience, great feedback from them. Um, uh, Mark, uh, may have had that reaction initially, but by the end of it was, uh, I think changed his tune a little bit. Um, and all of those guys are, are, are good people. And, um, we've been able to get feedback from them since, and, um, you know, it's been a cool part, but, uh, of our journey and, um, you know, excited to hopefully be on the update at some point in the next few years being like missed out on this opportunity. That would be sick. That would be sick. Usually <laughs> it's someone, it's usually, it's, a. Uh the the deals that have gotten uh like a done like from a shark but sometimes they have people on where it's like yeah the sharks didn't invest on me but it actually ended up being a huge blessing in disguise hey exactly so that would be sick that would be sick um yeah man it's crazy i remember watching it and i was like the moment you guys said pre-money i was like oh man these guys (laughs) and then then like seven minutes passes you don't get a deal but hey it it ended up working out um it's nuts too some of those those cuts it's like i remember there was one pitch in particular i think it took like two hours and they cut it down to like 15 minutes it's just it's crazy to think how long these pitches actually are and then when you actually pay attention to the show you can see what they've done like which parts they've cut out or who's like, you know, sentence they shorten or whatnot. So the most amazing part is the audio because oftentimes it's not a one-to-one conversation. Right. Right. Talking at the same time. And it's amazing how smooth and seamless they, they make it seem in the editing. 
Yeah, hundred percent. All right, well, let, let's switch it up. I got a couple of uh, lighthearted questions to ask, and then you know our time here is done. Uh, what's the story of you Ubering cans from from New York uh, the <laughs> days of your business? Uh, so was finding Uber drivers. Yeah, I, I don't even know if if I'm allowed to say any of this, but it's what's done is done, and you know what what do you have to do for the R and D, right? So. Um, we use ultra-filtered milk in our product and um, essentially to, to work on getting, um, to do R&D, um, the first time we ever did it was we were doing a pilot production and the amount of milk we needed was so much that it couldn't be mailed or it would be ridiculously expensive to be mailed, um, but not enough to like pay a lot to be on like a truck. So we were thinking through all these things of like, how do we not spend all of our money? Because we were pretty much self-funding the business at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, on transportation. And I don't know who had the idea, but it dawned on us of like, do you think we could convince an Uber driver to drive six hours to deliver a hundred pounds of milk or whatever it was? And they'd have to fill their entire car with coolers of this milk. And it was, you know, aseptically packaged, completely safe right? and gets pasteurized after. So there's no issue. Yeah, Just put it out there. Um, but uh, cool. it was, um, we, we, so I literally like, would call an Uber and it was, you know, a few hundred dollars. Like it wasn't anything that crazy uh, compared to what we would have paid. And what would you have paid instead? It was thousands. Oh. It would have been thousands. So we saved a lot of money. And so I'd immediately call it and then immediately call them and be like, hey, really weird. But we have a startup. We're a milk company. And the first five, six people like immediately hung up. But we got this one woman who was like, sure. So she picked up the hundred pounds of milk, whatever, drove six hours to us. We met her, we had made her lunch. We baked her cookies. <laughs> like we tried to make her feel, you know, a special part of it. She had to drive all the way back, gave her a big tip. And that was in 2018. So almost four years ago and still to this day, it's never six hours again, but still to this day, she lives near the, um, where our milk comes from. And our, our, we have an R&D uh, facility that um, is maybe closer to like an hour and a half away from her. Um, so still to this day, she's still driving over the milk whenever we need R&D done. And uh, she's nice. created a nice little business for herself and she's become kind of part of the family, which is so funny. And she's still know, an Uber driver or is like just full-time, like just- Yes, no, still, still, still driving Uber, still she has another job doing something else. Like she's a hustler and that's what we love about her. About <laughs> you know, the times where she's been sick or on vacation, We've had to just try calling other Ubers. So we have like a rotation of <laughs> people, but she's our anchor. Is she going to get um, equity if the company ever goes public? She'll get a nice little, she'll get a nice little gift. Well, I get equity if I bring Bruce Springsteen on board. <laughs> Done. Done? Yeah, right, you can well. have all of Manny's. Ooh, okay. Well, I don't want Manny's. I mean, that man's worked hard too, but hey, like <laughs> we'll carve out something. We'll take a little bit away from the shambo just for myself. Um, <laughs> The, the last question, if, if it was your last day on earth, you can only have one beverage, would it rather be slate milk or Argo tea? Or Argo. <laughs> uh, shout out Argo. Um, but I mean, slate, some sources claim, and I will never make this claim, that milk can be more hydrating than water. What? So you could even argue that you'd rather have milk on a deserted island than water, but I would never make that claim. So uh, I'll just put it out there, but you wouldn't make it yourself. No. Nice. Um, 
Yeah, apparently Argo T got closed, by the way. Just Aww. yeah, as I was well, don't say oh, it had like 1.8 stars review. All of it was <laughs> like I, I don't know who has worse employees, Fairview or Argo T, but anyway. <laughs> uh, last um, we're just uh, this this podcast has become a Fairview Ops podcast. Uh anyway, last last question. Um, any advice to aspiring entrepreneurs, uh, anyone in this space, VCs, people who might you know be working jobs right now in the CPG industry, want to start their own thing. Uh, you know, if you had to go back to your 22, 23, 24 year old self, you know, what are you telling that person? Uh, I think I always, I always tell everybody, it's just like, you just got to start. Like it's the hardest thing in the world to do is start. People are like, you know, I just don't feel like I could ever make that jump. Like, I don't know. Like there's no, like, there's no necessarily like come to come to Jesus, not to be a religious moment of like, Oh, this is it. Today's the day I'm going to like start this thing and put this thing in the can and like, boom, bang, boom. It's like, you just, you talk to someone. You Google something and so many people are so afraid of their idea being taken that they don't want to tell anybody about it. But if you don't tell anybody, that means you are a individual of one validating your idea. And so you need to validate it via a broader market, which is your parents are a different generation, potentially of a different gender. Um, You could, you just immediately getting another demographic, giving you feedback on your idea. And so the more people you tell, the more things you Google, the more phone calls that you make, just like ask a bunch of questions and just start somewhere and somewhere could just be Google. And as you know, reach out to people, people are more than willing to help. And you know, uh, what you start with of what you think is a really good idea could end up being very different in the end, which is the final thing that I'll say is always start with the problem, not the solution. All the time I hear entrepreneurs, especially trying to start a business of like thinking of all these solutions to things. But if you really focus on the problem first, like we focused on all the problems of milk, your solution will probably be much more appropriate and fitting and chance of being successful more so than coming up with solutions for like problems. You're not even quite sure are really an issue for people. Absolutely. Last thing, first of all, you know, thank you. This past year has been so fun being part of the slate team, uh, getting milk sent to me <laughs> on the regular. Um, so I want to thank you. Cause I know that there's, I, you know, I was struggling trying to get an internship or anything like that. And uh, luckily it worked out. It's a great team. Uh, got so much love for you guys, Nick, everyone. So thank you just personally. Uh, lastly, is there anything you want to plug uh, for Slate? Any announcements? Uh, I know that you can't disclose everything, but uh, yeah, sure. there, I don't know. Is there anything, maybe a coupon code for the listeners? Yeah, yeah. Good call. Uh, I So, I mean, the thing I'll plug is check out our website, slatemilk.com, S-L-A-T-E-M-I-L-K.com. Follow us on Instagram. Our team is rocking it on TikTok. Uh, follow right. us on TikTok. Some some grooving stuff going on over there. I don't know why I said that, uh, but follow us there. For anybody listening, I believe Milkman15 should give you a solid 15% discount on any order. Also, if you subscribe and save, you have the ability to save a hell of a lot more. So highly suggest you get this in your daily routine. If that uh, coupon code doesn't work, leave very angry messages in the comments and we will get you a brand new coupon code even better um, i think i have my own coupon code i just realized oh yeah oh yeah, well, yeah enough, you, I'm, just, I'm just gonna plug mine it might be a conflict i love it plug it sue 15 s-o-u-1-5 i believe it still works um so, yeah great discount code right there i love it Alrighty. Well, thank you, man. Thanks so much for hopping on and uh, best of luck. Um, if you have any like announcements coming up, be sure to come on this podcast before anyone else. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you. Uh, thanks guys for listening. Uh, see you next week. <laughs>